Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashikas. And come the next 90 minutes. In the era of allegations of coup d'etats and charges against individuals suspected to be involved, we hear from the Adansia Square Member of Parliament, Katie Hammond, who is asking for the arrest of Professor Raymond Atuguba, who made inter- inferences in relation to this particular subject. Also coming up, former Kumbung Member of Parliament Ras Mubarak is leading a charge against four MPs whom he once expelled from the House for absenting themselves for more than 15 sittings contrary to the rules of the House of Parliament. And later on Eyewitness News, the Supreme Court has advised lawyers of remanded fix-the-country activist Oliver Baka Vomawo to focus on ensuring Mr. Vomawo's liberties rather than the frolic, as what the court has described is, of an intellectual exercise they had embarked on at the apex court. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... The National Petroleum Authority says consumers should expect to pay more for fuel at the pumps as long as Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues. That's in some 50 minutes with Netili Neti of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across the country on a number of affiliate stations, including Adrimpa 100.7 FM in Takwa in the Western Region, on Storm 101.9 FM in Sunyani in the Bono Region, on Alpha Radio 104.9 FM in Kumasi in the Ashanti region, on Global 105.1 FM in Ho, as well as Adanu 107.7 FM in Adakluwaya, both in the Vota region. In the Northern region on Diamond 93.7 FM in Tamale, in the Upper West region on Westlink 88.1 FM in Laura, in the Upper East region on Source 100.1 FM in Boko, and in the Northeast region on Scarp 101.3 FM in Nakbanduri. Eyewitness News is interactive. Uh, you can join us on our WhatsApp platform 0549 You can send us tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973 and the world will hear what you think. Now, two days ago, Professor Atuguba, Raymond Atuguba, that is, um, gave a lecture, uh, which lecture has now become a subject of controversy. Now, he delivered a paper which is titled A Review or A Reviewed 1992 Constitution and Its Impact on the Economy of Ghana, Looking Forward, by Professor Raymond Akonguro Atuguba. Dean, University of Ghana School of Law, a public lecture delivered at the Irata Hotel Accra under the auspices of Solidaire Ghana. This was on Monday, 28 February 2022. It's a 21-page document uh, which we have here before us. Now, if you scan through the document on the controversial subject of coup, it is mentioned a number of times in this document. 
So he talks about uh, the coups of 1981 and recounts how his family had to go through that as a young child growing up. Now, there are parts that would be of interest to the conversation. He says, we do not want a coup in this country. This is page 7 that I'm reading for you. But before then, let me read for you a preceding paragraph that would put this issue in context. He says, um, many times my mother would meet the soldiers across the compound before they walked up to our home. Or sometimes before they go out of their vehicles, often she would succeed in turning them away with a combination of native wisdom, wit and humor. So this is a story he's discussing about 1981, and this happened in Nalerugu, near Vice President Dr. Mahmoud Baumia's hometown in Walewale. A few years later, and I'm reading, he said, When we lived in Boko, and after the 1981 coup, our family was targeted in this way. I still recall the morning our home was attacked and ransacked. Everything was carried away. We moved to stay with a distant relative farther from town. My father was put before a public tribunal and charged with offenses whose name I am unable to recall now. Throughout the period of his trial, he was without a job, without salary, and the constant fear of his life and the lives of members of his family. When we relocated at night on various occasions, he carried a sharpened cutlass with him. The entire family had to live on the back of my heavily pregnant mother and subsequently nursing mother throughout this period. I have recounted before how my father was made to account for his stewardship of the school he headed, how he accounted for all but one shovel, one pickaxe, and four pursuers, how the shovel and pickaxe were later retrieved at a building site, how he refused to plead guilty to misappropriating four pursuers, and how the receipt for the four pesos were later found. Now, I'm just reading for you excerpts of a lecture. Let's actually hear the man himself from the host's own mouth, Professor Ramon Atuguba. Uh, we recorded the sound. Let's hear it to put it in context, and then we can have a conversation on this based on what is being said. Uh, let me continue before we get that sound. He says, after he was found not guilty, he was restored to his post and his emoluments and promoted. Let's listen to Professor Atuguba. where I lived the very first several years of my childhood. I was born on the 1st of April, April Fool's Day, even when I say some foolish things during this lecture. It's the April Fool's thing working. Somehow, I carry very distinct memories of my complicated childhood. One of such memories is the regular visitations of the military Mowaks and trucks in the immediate aftermath of the 1979 coup. In the village, there were mechanisms of communication that appeared more effective than the mobile phone in speed and reach. And so we will hear about the soldiers and that they were on their way well before they got to our home. My mother sold everything. One of the distinct memories I have is when she was arrested for selling pencils, I believe, above control price. By that time, my father had been transferred from Nalirugu to Boku and then to Damangu, Dr. Abu Sakara knows very well, the village where President John Ramani Mahama was born. Back to Nalirugu, near Vice President Baumea's hometown, we always had a pre-dark deep trench at the back of the house. 
And when word reached us that the soldiers were on their way, we would drape large sheets of plastic or cloth over the trench, fill it up with all my mother's wares, cover them up with the ends of the plastic or the cloth that stretched over the top of the trench, and cover the trench with earth, and then with anything that would obscure it. When there was time, we would then sweep the whole compound, including over the trench, so that it all looked evenly swept and undetectable. And so that the many footprints of the hiders of the wares will be erased, leaving only the even footprints of the sweepers across the entire patched earth of the compound. Many times, my mother would meet the soldiers across the compound before they walked up to our home, or sometimes before they got out of their vehicles. Often, she would succeed in turning them away with a combination of native, native wisdom, wit, and humor. Sometimes it helped that she was the wife of the first headmaster of the new secondary school in the village. Sometimes it attracted undue attention, suspicion, targeting, hatred, and reprisals. In those days, anyone with puss was guilty until proven innocent. And the names of the offenses were hilarious economic sabotage, engaging in acts calculated to cause disaffection for the revolution, government indiscipline. A few years later, when we lived in Boko, and after the 1981 coup, our family was targeted in this way. I still recall the morning our home was attacked and ransacked. Everything was carried away. We moved to stay with a distant relative farther from town. My father was put before a public tribunal and charged with offenses whose names I am unable to recall now. Throughout the period of his trial, he was without a job, without a salary, and in constant fear of his life and the lives of members of his family. When we relocated at night on various occasions, he carried a sharpened cutlass with him. The entire family had to live on the back of my heavily pregnant mother and subsequently nursing mother throughout this period. I have recounted before how my father was made to account for his stewardship of the school he headed, how he accounted for all of it but for one shovel, one pickaxe, and four pesos, how the shovel and pickaxe were later retrieved at the building site, and how he refused to plead guilty to misappropriating four pesos and how the receipts of the four pesos were later found. After he was found not guilty, he was restored to his post, paid his emoluments, and promoted. Others were not that lucky. Many Ghanaians who were not able to beat the system the way my mother did, or successfully fight the system the way my father did, were mistreated, beaten, even killed. We do not want a coup in this country. Yet I feel that if we do not act quickly, we may have one in our hands very soon. A former colleague doctoral student at Harvard wrote his dissertation also on Ghana. He now teaches at a war college in the US. Imagine the name of the college, 
War College. Whilst my topic was on the Ghana police, his topic was on the Ghana military. Naturally, our paths intersected and we have remained friends since. My friend's PhD thesis was on the topic, quote, why certain crews succeed and why others fail. His case study was Ghana. My current assessment that Ghana may be ripe for a coup partly springs from the knowledge I gained from accompanying my friend through part of his doctoral research on this topic. It does not help matters if we consider Samuel Huntington's thesis on the snowballing effect of coups in the subregion and the closeness of recent coups to whom. I urge my good friend, the Minister of National Security, Honorable Kandapa, to have a conversation with my friend at the War College. The economy of Ghana today. So that's uh, Dr. Professor Raymond Atuguba uh, making the statement there for, for which reason he's in the news now. And uh, Dancy, as a member of parliament, Kitty Hammond, is asking for his arrest. And this is coming on the back of the arrest of Oliver Vomawo, who had made a comment on social media, for which reason he's currently calling off in a state cell. And uh, that is just one of many issues that we are discussing for you tonight here on eyewitness news um let me just give you the part that he talks about the economy before that that soundbite ended he said i urge my good friend the minister for national security honorable kandapa to have a conversation with my friend at the war college a big part of why certain coups succeed and others fail in the economy what is the state of our economy today and that's a very lengthy lecture there. He says, at the level of almost uh, irreducible idiomaticity, Ghana is broke. Your nation is radically broke. So broke, the Speaker of Parliament has publicly warned, gavel in hand, that we may not be able to pay the salaries of public sector workers in some three months unless a miracle happens. The Minister for Finance has weighed in. In very fine English, he says something like, quote-unquote, the legitimate reality is that there is no money. At least he has confessed to us that there are some illegitimate realities. Here we recall the African adage, if a crocodile comes out of the water and tells you that the fish is dead, would you challenge it? The Minister of Finance and the government officials add that soon Ghana will not be able to fund the free SHS scheme, pay the district assembly's common fund, pay the national health insurance levy, pay the Ghana Education Trust Fund, uh, pay the salaries of government workers pay lecturers in the public universities and end the debilitating strike action by them, pay the arrears owed various contractors, build roads and other infrastructure and create jobs for the youth. The finance minister finally says that government may have to generate monies from fuel, prices, high, fuel price hikes which are already taking place and leading to increases in transport fares. Let's have a conversation on all these things that he has said now as well as the uh, comment that has been made by the Member of Parliament. We'll be hearing from the Member of Parliament, but first let's go to um, someone who has lived coup d'etats and has seen them all and worked in a government that evolved from a coup d'etat. Dr. Yawo Obeda Samoa was a Minister for Foreign Affairs, was also the Attorney General under Flight Lieutenant Jerry John Rawlins' government, the PNDC government, that is, and the NDC government. 
Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. From the hilltop as you, you sit in retirement and listening to the conversation in the arena about coup d'etats, what does or how does that make you feel and think? Well, I, I just uh, those who are calling for a coup d'etat, uh, I know they think they want to help, uh, you know, the underprivileged. But if they don't know what really happened, they haven't had experience of of, of a coup d'etat, so they really don't know what actually takes place. Now. In the confusion of a coup d'etat, one of the things that happens is that individual soldiers, not necessarily under orders from the superiors, uh, you know, take vengeance on people. You know, the uh, the uh, harass people, or even you know, sometimes go shoot them because they have had. Uh, some uh, conflict with those individuals. And you remember, even in Jerry's time, the government uh, had to take some stern measures to ensure the discipline. And I remember that, in fact, one of the military officers tried and, and, and shot. Who was supposed to have, he, he was, I think he had some American background or something, uh, he was supposed to have been a friend of uh, President Rawlings. But, uh, you know, the general said that, you know, he had to be dealt with because he had gone around shooting people all over the place, you know. And there was another incident, I think, of uh, a, a relative, a relative of President Rawlings, who also had to be tried and, uh, a, 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 and shot in order to maintain some discipline. But there was a lot of <laughs> indiscipline generally, you know, uh, and uh, so this is what happens in the in the in the confusion and in the melee of a coup. People take uh, personal vengeance, and that is not helpful. Doc, coup d'etat. Okay, yeah. please land. Go ahead. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me let me let me land this. Then you know, if you are not lucky, and uh, uh, you, you get a, um, a leader uh, who you know, is kind of level-headed, like uh, President Rawlings was. Uh, it's, it's difficult to control the, uh, the, 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 the situation because you can have a, a, a government that will be set up which may not necessarily serve the interests of the people. You know, President Rawlings, in this case, you know, he, he just uh, more or less uh, took talent. He took talent from here and there. So you had a situation where in the uh, 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 military government, you had a person like Kufo serving as a in local government. Then you had a person like Idrisu Mahama serving in another capacity. Then you had me there. Then you had people like Steve Jobbing. You know, people of different ideological backgrounds. But Jerry was interested in competence. So he picked people from all over the place. He was not controlled by ideology. But you will not have that. You can have, you know, <laughs> some hotheads who think that uh, this is a, an opportunity to pursue a particular ideology and, and then, therefore, to punish those who have different ideologies. So that's that. Then, the worst part of it is really this, that, you see, the situation has changed. 
considerably since the Javis time. This time, invariably, if you do a coup, there will be sanctions against you. The Western countries, which are, who, 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 they, they will uh, uh, sanction your government, they will deny you uh, money and uh, other resources. And because they control the international financial institutions, they get those institutions also involved in sanctions against you. So in the end, you are, you are going to have a situation where you are going to hurt people, you know, more than is happening at, at, at the moment. So I think that there are so many reasons why now we should be very cautious, and particularly in the context of the uh, insecurity in West in, in, in the uh, West African region with the Al-Qaeda and all the others, and the interest of the uh, Western countries in containing uh, this insecurity, you are going to have, you are going to open up a can of worms. And, you know, uh, what happens if, for example, the Russians begin to, to want to arm uh, Mali or Burkina Faso or some other place? You know, what is going to happen to us? So uh, really, it's a messy situation. This can lead to a very messy situation, and I don't advise anybody to call for it. We, we are, we, at least we are lucky that the, all the political parties are committed to what the Constitution is saying, which means every four years there will be an election. So let's wait, and if we don't like the MPP government, we can kick out in 2024. Okay, now... A lot of the times, and indeed maybe all the times, when coup d'etats are carried out successfully, the persons who are behind the coup would say they are doing this for economic freedom. And uh, in listening to at least Professor Tuguba, he makes a comment that the state of the economy is not that good. He is not necessarily championing or calling for a coup, but he's just saying that if we watch everything that is happening continue to happen the same way they are happening chances are that we may go for a coup, which is not what he's necessarily advocating. We know that there's someone who is currently in custody over allegations or charges of um, treason felony, which also involves his comments he made in relation to a coup d'etat in case the E-Levy goes through. Can a coup be justified? No, I'm telling you that of course, there may be reasons why one will feel the way those uh, those people do. But if you study the consequences of what happened, you know, in, in, in a coup, you, you will not advocate it, particularly where there is opportunity to change the government in a peaceful way. I don't believe that the MPP in 2024 will say, no, they are going to stay on by force. I don't believe that they will do that, uh, you know. So we have the opportunity to change the government in a way that will not be a lot of chaos. Look, for example, particular now, as the economy is, you see prices are jumping up every day. The rest, you know, you get a, you get a coup. The soldiers come in. They go to the markets. They want to control prices. They make they make the economy worse. You see. So I don't think it is advisable really to 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 to, to get into that solution. Okay, now I, I can understand the sentiment behind it, but uh, uh, you know, let, let's be careful. Okay, now what about the people who have been arrested for the comments? Um, one person I've already said is on 
were in the custody of the state because of comments he made on social media about coup d'etat. Um, a member of parliament who is a lawyer is saying that the dean of the law faculty of Legon should be arrested for comments he made, which comments I've just read there. If you were still the attorney general, how would you be approaching these statements that have been described by some persons as just, uh, you know, imaginations or statements made in excitement? We see that they are being arrested and contained and charged. Would you use the same approach if you were still attorney general, arrest people for writing on social media, for instance, that they would, would carry out a coup d'etat? No, I don't think I'll do that. There's a difference between you know, speech and action. I would take up only in a situation where there is some preparation, some evidence of preparation to carry out a coup. If somebody is just talking, you know, I just take it to be, uh, you know, over excitement. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, go arresting them for that. Even if that talk would incite other people who have similar minds and possibly have the capacity to do that. How do you prove that? I have to prove that somebody says that he wants a coup. They say he's going to incite others. I mean, really, you are getting to the realm of, uh, <laughs> you know, extending <laughs> logic and, and common sense. It's, uh, it, uh, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to be affected. Uh, uh, and you have to look at what happened <laughs> since Jerry's school. <laughs> because previous, the previous schools were by soldiers against civilians. The school was by soldiers against soldiers. And it was intended, and, and because when the soldiers took over, we took their champion coup, for example. The misgovernment was such that, you know, Jerry had to step in. Yeah, also, uh, but, but Doc, we, we also recall that Jerry's second coup was not against soldiers, it was against a civilian Liman led government. But can the state take preemptive? measures by arresting people to preempt anything that may happen, like what is happening now? You can't preempt that by just saying that you want a coup. You know, it is true that every did the second coup, uh, you know, against the Liman government. But don't forget the circumstances. Gary was being harassed by the security. He was being chased all over the place with, with the uh, uh, B&I cars and, uh, or, or, you know, uh, the Chacho, uh, Captain Chikata, they were all being chased all over the place. Even at one time, they had to go to court to get a court order to stop the government harassing them. You know, so that is it. Liman provoked it. He didn't have to go that far, you see. So I don't think that should be seen as a precedent, you know, uh, uh, for coups any time you think there is misgovernment, you know. I don't, I don't agree. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Doc. Thank you. That's uh, Dr. Yawu Obed Asamoah. He was an attorney general, minister for justice. He was minister for foreign affairs under the Rawlings government. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we have more on this subject when we come back. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are having a conversation on coup d'etats and um, the issues that are coming up following some comments that have been made, some arrests that have been effected. Um, many people condemning. And uh, of course, you just heard there Dr. Yaobeda someone also 
add his voice to the issue of coup d'etat and saying that it should not happen. Um, today, um, the member of parliament for Adansiaskwa engaged journalists, including CTFM's uh, Duke Mensah Opoku in parliament, and he has serious issues to or he has serious issues with uh, the comments made by Professor Tugba in that lecture that I read, except for you. He's joined us on the line. Honorable Katie, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. You're saying that you want um, the Dean of the Faculty of Law at the University of Ghana arrested. Why? Maybe a lot more so. I didn't realize that he was the Dean. Uh, he was uh, the Dean of the Law Faculty. Then at the time that uh, the security forces had a chat with him. Um, why, why did it become a mantra? I mean, a recent mantra. Everybody is calling on the military, uh, talking about cool and cool. What is that? He, the team, I didn't know he was the team, but uh, Tukuba, uh, who is a lawyer, uh, who I'm told is a professor in the law, should know the implications of a uh, kind of statement that the likes of him uh, make. I can, I can, I can pardon all those others uh, who have made uh, such, such foolish statements because uh, I, I think that they are, they are fairly ignorant, uh, relatively ignorant about this matter. But he cannot be ignorant. He has been taught by lecturers in the Constitution. He himself has become a professor of the Constitution. Let him just go to the very few pages, very first, first pages of the Constitution, see what is there. He teaches this to the, his students, and he goes out there and then tells them, well, uh, he thinks uh, um, uh, the, the military may, 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 may stay in cool. What is it about? NDC may not be happy about a lot of things in the country. When MPP uh, uh, was in the position during Rollins' time, during Osama's uh, time, during John Mahomet's time, I mean, nobody called for intervention of the coup. These things were not even distinct possibilities. All of a sudden, it become a man. It's a way, so it should be the highway. But what is all supposed to mean? Atukuba does not have the, uh, the luxury of taking leave of half of his brain. He should stick to the full complement of his brain and talk like a professor of law. Uh, you, you, can, you can ignore a few, some people when they take those comments because really they are full soldiers, they are watered, they don't understand the full implication of what they are saying. That, that same uh, uh, latitude cannot be extended to the likes of uh, a professor of law. Honorable, have you read or listened to what the professor said? I've read, I haven't listened, but I've read some of it. I mean, my discussion with everybody seems to be what he said. It seems to be this. And I think that is the, the argument of uh, some of you. I'm not sure if that's what you're suggesting. The comment he made is predicated under some conditions. So they talk about some preconditions. He said that if A and B is not done, then the May. And the A and B is about the, the E levy. If we don't withdraw the E levy, we don't go groveling to the NDC and apologize to them about what he perceived to be the mess that the NDC administration is causing the country, then the military may intervene. Is that what you are talking about? Yes, but if he says that there are some yeah, underlying economic uh, so, issues that have to yeah, be no, dealt with. Okay, so he's not necessarily. Ask for a coup. No, he is necessarily. No, he is necessarily doing that. How is he? We don't take away the levy. We won't take away the levy. 
He said if we don't go and apologize to the NDC, no one apologize to the NDC. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he mentioned an apology to the NDC. I mean, I, I no, mean, he, no, 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 no. He says that if we don't apologize, who is he saying that we should apologize to? It's not the team in support of the NDC. He's not asking anybody to apologize to them. They are not complaining. All this uh, nonsense about today and that's about the NDC. You know, so he says if we don't go and come, uh, apologize, we don't uh, proclaim from. Talks about the mess that we caused in the military. But you see, that may be misrepresenting his facts because he has said, and I, I can quote for you some of his, his statements. He said, "Fellow Ghanaians, if we do not support the Dan Farafakin E levy, government will simply tax something else, such as fuel, leading to a hike in the trotter fares, and they will additionally steal for central government operations, the district assembly common fund, the get fund, and national health levy, just like Kwesi Boche discovered taxes on fuel during the Gulf War." Can Oforiata discover uh, taxes I'm on Momo during COVID? He has said, so what he said is that, the, he said, he said the E-Levy, he said the E-Levy should go through. He did not say the E-Levy should be prevented. So it would be surprising that you say that he's asking for an apology. No, 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 they read it properly. He said we should apologize and explain to the good people of Ghana the mess that was committed, for which reason would expect them to accept to go along with it. But you're already doing that through the town hall meetings. You are going around explaining to Ghanaians what you you to have done before you even brought it before the house in the first place. But that is the point. But he says that the service at the point in time he says if he doesn't go, it is all very simple. But of course we can then go and explain to people and explain the mess that we have committed. What mess have we committed? Uh Maru, whatever explanation he gives, I think it is ill coming from the mouth of a professor of law who should know better. He can't say that. A professor of law who is giving fair caution and fair warning. Unless, of course, you believe in the nonsense that he stated quite clearly to you. But are you sure the use of nonsense is an appropriate word to be using on, on, on a professor? Let me, let me make my point. Let me make my point. Yeah, I'm just saying that the use of the word nonsense sounds a bit you too harsh. What, you don't dictate my trust. I, 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 I should be held responsible and accept responsibility for my lingo. And that is how I choose to describe him. All right. Well, um, I'm saying unless, of course, you subscribe to what he's saying, and I don't know why you, of course, if you subscribe to then uh, this is not my place, then we can go over the head. But whatever it is that his argument is, he doesn't have the right to, at the end of the, whatever the suggestion, talk about the military may intervene. It is the question of the intervention of the military that is tearing me apart. Okay. Now, Dr. Obeda Samoa, I've just spoken to, he served under Rawlings, and as asked him directly, if he were still attorney general, he would be interested in cases like this particular one. He says he does not think he should be chasing after people's thoughts. This would be fantasy. Do they have the capacity? In fact, he uh, did not directly say that let's go and, and, and overthrow the government. Uh, Oliver Vomawa has said that if the E-Levy goes through, you come out and overthrow the government. These are just fantasies, don't you think? Well, you see, describe it whatever way you, you want. He is a professor of law. Um, Dr. Ben Azamwa says, well, he won't go after him. That's fine. No matter whether you're a professor or whatever his name is, uh, he, this guy, I, uh, what is his name? Atukuba. He went to whatever forum. Uh, he had a chat with whoever he met over there. I think the best place really for is to have a forum with the, the national security apparatus then explain his theories to them and explain to them why it's, it's A and B is all that. 
So what he said, Professor Tukba, is that, quote, we do not want a coup in this country. Yet, I fear that if we do not act quickly, we may have one in our hands very soon. Is that not fair warning? That is the exact point I'm making. We do not want it, but the, 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 the latter part makes nonsense of the first statement. It makes complete nonsense of it. We do not want it, but A, B, C, D will force it on our hands. Is that the only, only suggestion? We go for four yearly uh, what it, election, national elections. We are messing up as a party. That's why it is for the people of Ghana to decide on that. It's not for him. He can make all his criticisms. We are messing up. He is useless. That's fine. I would want him to end all of that by saying that when the good people of Ghana would have the say in four years' time, I do not expect him to uh, uh, send an invitation to the, to the military. Look, everybody knows their duty. Professional soldiers of Ghana, they know that this is uh, to guide against intrusion into uh, the territories of Ghana. This is protecting the territorial integrity of the country. The executive will do what they have to do. The parliament is doing what he's doing. The judiciary, you do not ask others to interfere. Oh, they, 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 they do meddle in the affairs of others. Tukuba is wrong, 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 wrong. And I think you must so be told. Thank you so much for speaking to us, sir. That's Honorable Katie Hamon, his MP for Adansia Squad and the former Deputy Minister for the Interior. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and we'll be back. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. The numbers in Parliament at this time is very crucial. 137 for NDC, 137 for NPP, one independent who caucuses with the MPP, giving them a simple majority. But the issue of numbers has become controversial, and the NDC has accused the MPP of trying to remove some of its MPs through uh, legal means in order that it can have a proper majority in the House. The NDC now is also claiming that some MPP MPs have been abstaining or absenting themselves from the House, and for which reason they should be removed. A former NDC MP for Kumu, Ras Mubarak, has actually put pen to paper on these comments that have been made verbally by many persons in the NDC. He joins us on the line. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Your view is that as many as four NPP MPs ought to be removed from the House. Tell us more. Well, my view is that anyone who, who, who violates the Constitution of the Republic, you know, um, we would have to insist on the Constitution being respected and upheld. In the case of the four MPs, as far as I'm concerned, they are in breach of provisions of Article 971C and Standing Order 61 of our Constitution. For which reason, you know, it is my opinion that um, the matter be referred to the Privileges Committee of Parliament and uh, for you know deliberation and, and decision on it. Because we can't have one set of laws or rules for members of Parliament and have another for members of the public. Imagine what would have happened if you, Umaru, were to absent yourself from work more than 15 days without just cause, you are most likely to lose your job as you know a broadcast journalist. You know, so we are at a time when there is a collapse of trust in politics in politicians, especially parliament, 
you know, um, which has lost a lot of um, its prestige. You know, we've seen the Afrobarometer report, the third most corrupt institution in the country after the uh, police and judiciary. I mean, that is not an enviable thing. And here's an opportunity for Parliament to redeem its image. So I'm really hopeful that, you know, MPs would rise to the occasion and, and, and do what is right for forgotten country. Are you, as an outsider, allowed to even be involved in this? Should it not be the job of MPs? Any, any member or any issue of national concern that any member feels strongly, any you know, member of the public feels strongly about could petition their MP or the Speaker of Parliament. So I, I clearly know what I'm doing. And uh, one does not have to be a member of Parliament to write a petition to the Speaker of Parliament to take a certain course of action. So who are the four MPs you are targeting and how do you know they've absented themselves for 15 days without permission? I have done my research and obviously I'm not going to share that with you over the radio. But, um, my investigation reveals that the Honorable Sarah Joshafo, the Honorable Ohene Kennedy Japan, the Honorable Henry Korte and the Honorable Ebenezer Kuduku have all breached Article 971 C of the Constitution. Have you seen the attendance book of Parliament? I'm not going to share that with you on the radio. If you don't share that, your whole, you know, keeping, points I'm would keeping, be I'm, would I'm, be I'm would keeping, be founded on on sand, I'm, and that would I'm be keeping, subject to I'm demolition. Keeping, you would have I'm to say to us hand. that I have seen the yeah, books. I have yeah, formally yeah, applied for yeah. the attendance book, and this yeah. is what I noticed. Otherwise. Anybody I, could say that someone did not come to the house, especially if, if, since if it is I not were, just absenteeism, but absenteeism or absenting oneself without permission. You have to go beyond I, ma mentioning names to, to be were, believed. If I, were, if I were to be invited, you know, before a committee of parliament, I'd be happy to tender in whatever evidences I have. I'm not sharing that with you over the radio. Yeah, but how would you be believed then if you don't have any hard fact to support I your claim? I would not share that with you over the radio. I haven't said I don't have evidence. You've asked me, and I've told you I have evidence to the, to, to the fact that there have been breaches of uh, Order 61 and Article 971C. And I'm willing, ready, able, you know, um, to defend that before any committee of parliament. But I'm not sharing that with you on the radio. Okay, and you also know on authority that uh, they do not have permissions to the speaker did you speak to the speakership and you were told that there's no permission in the office did i do what i'm sorry have you spoken to the speakership and you've been told that there's no permission note uh, before once, them once from these forms once, once i've collected my evidence i don't need to speak to anyone you know i have collected my evidence and i have you know um, written a petition to, to the speaker of parliament i'm willing able available to defend you know um the, the, the petition that I've so presented to the speaker. All right. So what what happens? You you've sent the petition to the speaker. What's the next step? Well, it will be a, it will be a big disgrace um, if the matter is not treated with alacrity. If it's if it's treated as the one submitted by Odikru, you know, uh, several years ago. Um, as I've indicated, you know, there's a collapse of trust in in politicians and in parliament as an institution. This is a unique opportunity for Parliament to redeem itself. You know, members of the public are very upset that, you know, these things are happening and there are no consequences. You know, so it's up to Parliament to decide whether they want to be on the right side of history or they want to be on the, on the wrong side of history. All right, let's leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us. 
pleasure. Thank you. That's uh, Ras Mubarak. He's former MP for Kumo, uh, speaking to us. He has petitioned the um, House of Parliament, asking for some four MPs to be removed, and he's given his reason. Let's quickly um, do some um, give some update on the, the conversation we had with Katie Hammond. In that conversation, he had said that Professor Tuguba had asked for an apology of a sort and he said to NDC people by the government. Let me read for you the direct quote as published on citynewsroom.com. The story is titled, Stop lying to Ghanaians. Confess your challenges for them to accept e-levy. Atuguba, the quote directly from him says, The starting point for passing the e-levy is for government to stop lying to the citizenry, come clean and confess that they thought the job of managing the economy was simple, but now they know better. Plead with the people of Ghana that we have limited options now, unquote. He, let me just give you another part. It says, the starting point, um, okay, I think I've read that part. It says, a bit, okay, but that you know, you now know better. A bit the arrogance and high-handedness. Ask the people of Ghana for forgiveness and pray the people of Ghana that we have limited options right now. We either allow the economy to collapse and we all suffer and get back into the grips of the neocolonial IF, IFIs or we use the e-levy to prevent economic recession and depression. Ghanaians are smart and empath empath empathetic and will gladly support the e-levy if this is done right. So that is uh, the comment uh, that has been made by Professor Atugoba. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We're coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Nashika, what do you have for us? While the Supreme Court has advised lawyers of remanded Fix the Country activist Oliver Baka Vomawa to focus on ensuring Mr. Vomawa's liberties rather than the frolic of an intellectual exercise they had embarked on. The five-member panel was at a loss as to how the lawyers seemed to have abandoned their priority of seeking the enforcement of their client's rights while chasing after the state over its supposed obligations to the detained person. His lordship, Yoni Kulendi, pointed out to the lawyers that there was a right of liberty under Article 14, Clause 3 of the Constitution, saying, in quotes, it is your priority as counsel to prosecute that right, end of quote. Is this the time for this intellectual exercise? If this man's liberty is at stake, should you not take pragmatic steps to secure that? Her ladyship Gertrude Tokono also quizzed the lawyers. Her ladyship accordingly advised the lawyers to think through this and just do the pragmatic thing. A deputy attorney general, Dinah Asonoba Dapa, who led the charge of the state, however, opposed attempt for the Supreme Court to grant back a Vomawa bill and insisted that any such application should be made at the High Court. Away from that, consumers of petroleum products have decried the continuous surge in the prices. Two weeks ago, fuel prices at the various pumps stood at 7.99 pesos per litre. The new figure now stands at 8 cities, 29 pesos per litre at the pumps. Reacting to the new increment, some drivers called on government to intervene immediately to save the situation. The hikes in fuel prices have really made it difficult for us to make decent earnings. We are unable to purchase it with our meager incomes. The government should do something about it. 
We are calling on the government to intervene. The fuel prices keep going up. Something needs to be done. I'm sure fuel prices will be increased again. You had some drivers decrying the continuous rise in fuel prices. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. Consumers of petroleum products should expect to pay more at the pumps in the coming weeks as long as Russia's military offensive against Ukraine continues. This is according to the regulator of the petroleum downstream sector in the country, the National Petroleum Authority. Just this week, fuel prices have gone up from 7 Ghana cities 99 pesos to 8 Ghana cities 29 pesos at the pumps of some major oil marketing companies in the country. Abbas Ibrahim Tasunsi is the head of pricing at the National Petroleum Authority and has been speaking to City Business News. Indeed, um, the, the market outlook is such that the prices for, for the future and the near-term future are high. We call this a backwardation in the market. Backwardation means that today's prices are, low, are higher than tomorrow's prices. So the market is, uh, is rising. So the market is rising. So in the near future, and even what we are monitoring now, prices that we expect for the next window here in Ghana, looking at the what's happening on the international market, the prices are still rising. So until the market calms down and for us to see what the solution to this Russia issue mainly is, the, immediately we can see that we should still expect prices to rise. Abbas Ibrahim Tasunti is the head of pricing at the National Petroleum Authority. A report by the Public Interest and Accountability Committee, PIAC, has disclosed that Ghana earned a total of $6.55 billion in petroleum receipts between 2011 and 2020. This, according to PIAC, is equivalent to almost 10% of GDP in 2020. Regarding the breakdown of petroleum receipts by fiscal instrument, PIAC said carried and participating interest has by far generated the highest share for Ghana, accounting for 58% or $3.8 billion of the total revenue end. The 10-year assessment report titled Assessment of Management and Use of Ghana's Petroleum Revenues Between 2011 and 2020 further revealed that an amount of $31 billion has been generated from Ghana's three producing oil fields between the years under review. The prices of imported goods are expected to increase by at least 30% in the second quarter of the year due to the depreciation city, increase in fuel prices, the new benchmark values discount policy, among other factors. This is according to the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana. According to the association, the prices of goods will be revised upwards not only to reflect the current economic conditions, but also to enable them to stay in business. This is not the first time the association has warned of an increase in the prices of goods this year. Other groups, such as the Traders Advocacy Group Ghana, have also warned of an increase in prices due to the current economic conditions. Samson Asaki Awingobit is the General Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association. Well, you know, we've told the government that the benchmark value was not something the government should have tackled with. We said that even though the government said that the 2022 budget was stipulated to scrap the benchmark values completely, you remember? And we raised the issue in regards that the dynamics, the condition that was prevailing 
even as you speak, and you, I'm sure you are very much aware that there is uh, the VAT flat rate, which was amended in 2022, 2021, and is supposed to be implemented in 2022. These are all going to be chaotic. These are all going to be cost of increases of cost of doing business in the country, coupled with the city depreciation. So it tells me that um, if you want to uh, strategically be, still be afloat to do business and, and can stay and can do business, then one have no choice than to increase the price and goods of services. That was the General Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana, Samson Asaki Awingobet. The Ghana Union of Traders Associations, GUTA, has welcomed government's plan to establish an industrialization committee to help importers begin manufacturing some of the things they buy from other countries. This comes on the back of the recent announcement and implementation of a phased reversal of the benchmark values discount policy. Yesterday, March 1, 2022, marked the successful commencement of the application of the 30% discount on general goods and 10% discount on used vehicles at the country's ports. But according to the Finance Ministry, the time has come to actively facilitate the production of local alternatives to imports, which will ultimately help government in its industrialization drive. Dr. Joseph Obeng is the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, and he's been speaking to City Business News. All of us uh, con- uh, consented to it that it is the way forward um, 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 for uh, the nation building and also to um, um, take care of the uh, forest, uh, the depreciation of the city and all that. So uh, I think it is very um, um, welcome news for us and we are going to um, um, do all our bit to, uh, um, to be part of this committee to ensure that we gradually migrate into manufacturing to show up um, government's um, quest for uh, forests. That was the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Dr. Joseph Obain. Head of Economics Division of the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research at the University of Ghana, Professor Peter Quarte, has urged government to consider identifying and supporting large-scale farmers around the country who would in turn support smaller farmers around them as a way to ensure sustained growth of Ghana's agricultural sector. Despite agriculture increasing its contribution to the economy from 19.1% in the first half of 2020 to 21.3% in the first half of 2021, the Bank of Ghana's Monetary Policy Report, released in January this year, points to the fact that developments such as delayed rainfall and input supply challenges including insufficient fertilizer phased in 2021, may lead to a decline in the agricultural sector contributing to the growth in 2022. Speaking to City Business News about the agricultural sector, Professor Corte noted that when adequately supported, the increased food production by the sector will help check the rate of inflation in the country as food inflation is a major driver of national inflation. With agric, yes, um, we've spoken about subsidies, providing fertilizers to farmers. Yeah, we ought to do that. But I think the answer also lies with identifying a few large-scale farmers and supporting them so that they will pull the younger or the smaller ones along. If, if you have a large-scale uh, farmer that, that is able to drag the, the rest, the small, small outgrowers along, um, you, you'll find that agric will really uh, pave the way. 
and then you support them through the value chain, through not just providing inputs or irrigation, etc., but providing credits for processing, for marketing, etc., etc. So let's do more of that, and, and I'm sure we'll be able to minimize some of these effects uh, and, and reduce inflation and inflation expectations. That was the head of economics division at the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research of the University of Ghana, Professor Peter Korte. The Chamber of Independent Power Producers, Distributors and Bulk Consumers has expressed its readiness to help develop the energy sector through the introduction of various power generation technologies. This comes barely a week after the Chamber cancelled the energy debt and arrears via counting setups owed by government to the tune of $600 million. In an interview with City Business News Chief Executive Officer of the Chamber, Elie Plim Apatogbo also assured of continuous support to ensure government clears all existing energy sector areas and reforms in the sector. So looking at the critical position of UCG and the government, an amount of over 251 million meant for either capacity charges have been uncharged and forgiven. An amount of over 203 million US dollars has been set up by an accounting mechanism. An amount of over 151 million for interest surcharges and orders and exchange losses tabulated to, old, to the over 600 million generosity that the IPPs have shown. And this deserves public commendation. Our decision is motivated by the alarming fiscal constraint of the country, especially the depth of revenue gap in the power sector, and also the need to rescue ECG for the sector's sustainability. Also, it's expected to mean that we are true developing partners and not what the public was made to believe about the IPPs. And of course, to create a, a possible platform for cooperation in future expansion plans in regards to the addition of generation capacities. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Chamber of Independent Power Producers, Distributors and Bulk Consumers, Elik Plim Akatobo. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone and powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nette. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Poem Lang on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight on Poem Lang. the issues are ongoing, the price of the um, liter of fuel keeps increasing at the pumps. Yesterday we brought you the stories over 8 CD now, over 8 CDs per liter of fuel, at total at least. The other fuel stations or OMCs are yet to, yet to release their figures. We are told that this will even go more beyond what actually we are seeing. So tonight we are trying to look at how this can be arrested. We are told from the NPA that the prices will keep going up if the war in Ukraine continues. We're going to pick several perspectives to this story. Let's begin with a member of parliament for Bongo who was an, a consultant at the Energy Ministry, Edward Bauer. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, fuel prices we cannot control because we run a deregulated system. We have always asked for a deregulated system. We have it now. And yet, when the prices go up in correspondence with what's happening globally, we are crying down here. Is that fair to the government? Uh, thank you very much. I think that... Um it may not be absolutely uh, right to state that because of deregulation, we cannot control the prices. Uh, because the prices in themselves are influenced by three factors. And three of, there are three or four factors. But out of that, it is only two major ones are controlled by government. Um, yes, if you were to go to any pump station to buy four, you have um, uh, the factors that affect the price of the product will be one. The, what we call the, the prices of the crude, or maybe the petroleum product in the international market, which government definitely has no control over, or the state has no control over. The other one has to do with the fact that, uh, with the exchange rate. Uh, the, the reason being that most not most always we buy our products and cities that we import the, uh, the product from outside in dollars and so whenever there's a change in the exchange rate what happens is that it affects the the price and the third one is that you have what we call taxes and levies uh which is slapped into you in on on the product by the state and of course we have distribution margin the statutory distribution margin i lump them all together with the taxes and levies so those ones are also under the control of government. Now, so if you, yes, you can have a situation where the international market prices you have no control, and as you speak today, uh, the prices are hovering in the neighborhood of 100 and something. 
this morning it was 111 as per branch. But we also knew that uh, our city is also not performing very well. Indeed, in the last two months, uh, the city has depreciated about 7.6%. It's been, it's been uh, considered as the worst performing currency in Af- on the African continent. And so that can, the, the, the current situation cannot just be attributable to only the international market, uh, the prices in the international market. The third point then is on the issues of taxes. So if you say people are, people are not fair to government, I don't think it is true. And I explain to you why. One, let's use the issue of the international market, the good price in the international market. It is true that the prices are very high. But if you go back to the budget statement of 2022, the benchmark revenue for petroleum uh, revenues was pegged at $62 per barrel. What it means is the government had said that assuming that we had any, we did not have anything below $62 per barrel, we are going to meet our petroleum revenue targets for 2022. As we speak now, it is, and remember that our product, the outcome is the sweet light. So we even have a premium on our, we have a premium on the brand price. But let's even use the brand price. What it simply means is that we, even though government was projecting around $62 per barrel, government is getting $111 per barrel as of today. So it means that there are huge windfalls that government is making there. So we are exceeding our targeted revenue, uh, petroleum revenues. So if you have that, the next question you ask yourself, and that is the upstream, is it possible that government can look at the downstream side and say, how do I offset this? To ensure that one, I cushion our citizens, two, I make sure that businesses stay in, uh, in, in uh, companies stay in businesses, and that life becomes a bit better, and you ameliorate the, uh, the the challenges that people go through. Now, so that is how government, because taxes are meant, for example, to be able to um, to raise revenues to fund specific products. So the windfalls in the absolute sector would have compensated for that. That is not being done. And I use a particular example. I give and uh, send that there are two or three particular factors I want us to look at. One, you see that as we speak today, um, there's a particular tax that uh, on the this that the charge of 46 pesos per, per barrel, uh, per liter, which is uh, the special petroleum tax. The special petroleum tax was introduced at a time when the crude prices in the world was around 30 dollars. So our benchmark revenue was then we had paid it around $54 or $52 a per barrel. So because we came to $30 per barrel, uh, it meant that our petroleum revenues were not going to be met. Two, we had also projected that we were going to be producing about 100,000 barrels of crude per day. Because of the problem we had with the FPSO common coma, the crude production at the, at the Jubilee, also came down to around 70,000 barrels per, per, per day. So these two factors conspired to ensure that our petroleum revenue is going to be met. Then the, we introduced what we call the special petroleum tax, which was supposed to create in some revenues to, to plot the, the delta, the, 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 the shortfall that we need to get in terms of our target for that year, that's the 2015 budget. We have introduced a sunset clause that by 2017, this tax should be off. And the reason why we said this, and we said that by 2017, the prices of crude oil would have recovered in the international market, and two, would have sorted out the technical challenge with the FPS of Kwame Today, as we speak, crude prices are around 100 and something. 
we are producing around 180,000 barrels of crude a day. So it's therefore not tenable to still keep the SPT as a special petroleum tax in our, in our, in our, in our, in our So it is an area you can take, and because of the windfalls you are getting in the upstream sector, you should be able to survive on that. Two, <clears throat> today, if you were to go and ask the disassemblies common fund, they'll tell you that on quarterly basis, they did that 120,000 cities from each assembly. And they did that the 120,000 cities because, and the two, it, is, it is to take care of two components of uh, expenditure. One is that the 80,000 is for simulation, and 40,000 is for what they call the sanitation improvement program. And they are supposed to ensure that all the assemblies, whether in municipal district or uh, metropolitan, are kept clean. Government, in their media review budget, decides to introduce a tax handle of 10 pesos per barrel, per, per liter, for sanitation pollution. So it means that even though all the years, through their uh, local assemblies, are funding the cleaning of the environment, they are charged extra anytime they go to buy petroleum products. So my question then is that, is it not possible to take out this one? And if you take it out, you then have a situation where that service will not be compromised because you will still have the assemblies having to pay 120,000 Ghana on quarterly basis to have the country, uh, country clean. At that point, my brother, government also at the media review had introduced what they call the energy sector recovery levy and the energy of 20 pesos per liter for petrol and diesel. The point they had made was that, that look, my brother, that, oh, um, we have what we call capacity charges that are, that are occasioned because of overproduction of, uh, what do you call it, power that we do, we do not use. Sander, you know that you and I, any time one generating plant in Ghana goes off, we always run into uh, challenges in terms of uh, uh, doing so challenges. The question that you ask yourself, at what point do we have capacity charges being occasioned? Because capacity charges technically are occasioned when a, a generator, whether it is an IPP or what have you, declares availability and it is not being dispatched. That means I tell, I say that, oh, I have power, I have one, I have everything to generate power. You must take the power. And if you are not able to take the power, you pay a particular amount of money to take care of my investment. That is called the capacity charge. The question is that you do not just assume that by virtue of the fact that the plant is treated, it does not declare to availability. You cannot, it cannot charge you anything in terms of a, what we call, a capacity charge. The last time the government, uh, what we call it, uh, uh, the minority asked the Minister of Finance to come and tell us how much we have paid in terms of capacity charges and which companies they have paid the capacity charges to. He came and bundled us on figures. Later on, the Chamber of Independent Power Producers issued a statement indicating that those figures that were mentioned on the floor of Parliament were not for capacity charges, but that they were for power consumed. So the issue of the transparency of even that particular tax handle is something that we need to look at. So if you ask me, or oh, I will say to government, when we say, when they say because of deregulation, and because of deregulation, they have deregulated, so they have no control over the price. It's not true. And last point, it's not the monetary part in terms of the exchange rate. The exchange rate, the monetary policy uh, of the central bank, they manage the issue of this exchange rate. It is not the business of the international market to do that. It is not the business of you and I to do that. There are people who pay on on monthly basis to ensure that our CD performs well against the major currencies. 
So if you have a situation where our our, our CD is almost becoming not as wet, uh, it's not even worthy of the paper it is printed on, then it becomes a problem. So we have every legitimate right to tell government that the situation that we find ourselves in today, we should find a way of solving it, and government has the control to do that. Okay. Now, so locally, this is what our government can do. But internationally, what is happening in Ukraine should affect and bother us, shouldn't it? No, obviously. Actually, it is just, of course, you know that already the trajectory was that we were having the increases in uh, the prices, not only because of the Ukraine. Ukraine is just the last bit of it. But the issue is that issues of winter, issues of even some geopolitical issues that are certain things about even in terms of OPEC and other uh, oil producing countries. There were other factors that came in. But these are things that have to be anticipated. There are certain times that you can have prices go down and the prices that go up. Yes, the issue of the prices in the international market are, are, are a border to us. And they really impinge on the eventual export prices that we have at our pump station. That I agree. But I'm just saying that that being said, if government was minded to look at other ways, one, in ensuring that our tax burdens can be reduced, particularly when we are making windfalls at the upstream sector in terms of the sale of goods, and two, that we have a stability of our currency against the major, uh, what do you call it, uh, currencies, whether it is the dollar, whether it is the pound sterling, or in the, in the euro, our situation would have been less burdensome than we have it today. All right. We are also exporters of crude. Why are we not celebrating the 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 hike in the price of crude oil? Obviously, we should be celebrating because if you were to go to Kenya for today, you would tell you that he is making more than what he has budgeted for in terms of petroleum revenues. Because you remember, I told you that in the budget for 2022, the the benchmark revenue was hinged at 52 dollars per barrel. So it means that he's making a lot of windfalls. Uh, that was what I was saying, that that should be, we should use that to offset our challenges in the downstream sector. That's all I just, um, that's what I've just been trying to say all this while. That whilst we, uh, we do that, we know that if they were selling crude oil today at $2 per barrel, we should be able to meet our, uh, our projected uh, petroleum revenue uh, targets. And two, that all that we have set ourselves to do with those revenue, we still can do it. Anything that comes on is an additional thing for us. And so based on that, whether it is through the sale of our own portion, which is sold through the GMPC, or by what they call it, the IOCs, that we can get in terms of taxes and in terms of what we call the additional uh, oil entitlements, which is always enshrined in all the petroleum agreements that are signed by all uh, by, by the states and then the IOC, that intentional oil company. If you look at all those things, government should be excited about that. But we are saying that once you make up this money, the fact that you are supposed to ensure that your citizens also live very comfortably. Look, let me tell you, today, I, I, I realized that I listened to some GP, GP, GPRTU, their, uh, their uh, what do you call it, the public relations officer, who was already uh, thinking, they're looking at what is happening. Their initial, their, 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 uh, what do you call it, the 18% or how many, 15% increment that they gave. For the for they may have uh, sorry for transportation they may have to take a second look at it because on daily basis you have an increment at the pumps. If that is the case, you can imagine a cascading effect on everything, whether it is cement, whether it is food, whether it is uh, what do you call it, uh, building material, whether it is uh, just even public transport generally, and particularly the vulnerable. The vulnerable they use uh, public transport. 
if you have a situation where transportation fares go up, it affects the amount of money and the disposable income available to them, even just to handle the bread and butter issues at home. And so government should be minded by these factors and to see how they can intervene in those areas. And that is one of the things that, uh, uh, Sandra, they, are not, they, are not, they seem not to be doing. And indeed, today, I took the, I took the, uh, the opportunity of the tools of parliament to actually write, uh, to uh, file an urgent question to the Minister of Finance to come and tell the House how his ministry is... Because if you look at the three factors, two of them fall under him. That's the, uh, the, CD, the CD, what do you call it? The CD dollar exchange rate. And because of the fact that I cannot bring the Bank of Ghana to, uh, to answer, normally the Minister of Finance will have to answer that. And then the fact that taxes are also proposed and made by government and through his ministry. I filed the question asking the government and the minister to come and tell us how he is going to handle the issue of this ever escalating prices of okay you you have been there you have been in the thick of affairs before based on all the projections and the information you have will it continue to go up or there will be a reduction soon i can tell you that and i agree with what Copec said i can see a hit now by roughly by 20th of 20th of uh, march wow uh, that doesn't look very beautiful a picture but thank you for speaking to us Thank you for having me. That's Honorable Edward Ba. He's MP for Bongo. He was a consultant at the Ministry of Energy under the Mahama government. <music> this is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Omaru Sandama. Let's go to the NPA now. Abbas Ibrahim Tasunti is the head of pricing at the NPA. Mr. Tasunti, you're welcome to Point Blank. Ghanaians are crying. Um, are you the one who sanctioned the price we are seeing? Is that is that the kind of work you do as head of pricing? Because we we always hear from the NPA that this is a deregulated industry and you don't really have much beyond the taxes that government slaps on the price of fuel that people buy. Thank you very much, Sandra, and good evening to you and your listeners. Um, so it's good you started with this question. Um, the NPA's mandate as a regulator of the petroleum downstream industry uh, among other things, is to ensure that the pricing of petroleum products is done ac according to the prescribed petroleum pricing formula. So as head of pricing, my job is to make sure that if you are importing or you are distributing the products in the country, you are doing so according to the formula that has been passed and approved by parliament. So that is what I do. So MPA's job is not to sell the market or to increase prices as and when we want. Our work is to make sure that whatever goes into pricing the petroleum product, be it the world market price, be the approved taxes and levies from Parliament um, are all done appropriately so that the consumer is not shortchanged. So you are supposed to prevent OMCs from going beyond a figure that you have pegged the cost of fuel at, but if they want to reduce, that's up to them? No, so that is not right. So because we deregulated pricing, MPA does not announce or set a cap on prices. Um, there are components, like I said, there are certain components in the formula that um, every company uses to set their prices. Our work is to make sure that they do so appropriately, but not as a cap. If um, we, as a regulator, we also monitor the market and we have a rough idea of what where price should be at any point in time. So one of the major requirements under this deregulated era is that as an OMC, for example, when you set your price for any particular pricing window, you submit that to us for us to review before the window starts. And if in reviewing that, we realize that we have not priced appropriately, either you, have, you may have used a wrong um, tax or levy, or you may have used an 
a margin that doesn't make economic sense in the current times. We get you to justify and then we get you to use the right or the most realistic margin, for example. So our work is to make sure they price in that manner, but not to say that this is the price for the window and then and that's all marketing companies should not sell above that price. What that means is that you approved the current price we see at the, at the filling stations. Yes, so but like I said, we make sure that the prices have been done according to the prescribed petroleum pricing formula. So whatever price you see out there has been done according to the formula. But because if the market is deregulated, you will notice that different companies have different prices. And this is mainly because of competition. So their margins vary, and also the prices as they get them from the importers can vary because of competition. Why is the price so high? Um, so um, you will notice well, the price is high. We all agree the price is high. Looking at the rate at which the prices have gone from last year in particular to date. Um, a number of factors contribute to this, but it's mainly because of the increases on the world market. And then let me add that the exchange also plays a role. But uh, the increments on the, on the world market have driven the prices very much because of the issues about supply of particular crude oil from major oil-producing countries. Um, since uh, 2020, when the COVID struck, we all know that there were a lot of lockdowns all over the world. So demand for petroleum products really went down. But beginning from 2021, all economies begin, began opening up, and this really made uh, demand for oil shoot up. It's such that the supply could not meet demand, and whenever this happens in economics, we all know that prices start to rise. In addition to this, unfortunately, we've had a lot of geopolitical issues that have affected the uh, major oil-producing countries, and therefore, the, the latest, for example, is this Ukraine-Russia issue. And the fact that sanctions are likely to be imposed on Russian oil is making the prices go up further. So all of these uh, combined, mainly the geopolitical issues which are threatening supply of crude oil are affecting prices and this is mm. leading to the astronomical increases we are seeing. There are claims that it is in the interest of Ghana that the price of crude on the world market goes high because, goes high because we are exporters. How true is this statement? Yes, indeed, Ghana produces some crude oil. Um, as a regulator, let me say that we don't regulate the upstream sector of the oil industry. We regulate the downstream. So our regulation covers importation of refined products or production of refined products and supplying to the consumer. But we have an idea of what happens in the upstream. So if you look at Ghana, last year, based on last year's data, Ghana produced roughly, um, averagely, about 150,000 barrels of crude oil a day. Um, and consumption as a nation in terms of barrels, it's averagely about 96,000 barrels a day. So indeed, if you look at production, we produce more than we consume, but the state share of what is produced is just about 18%. So that translates to about 27,000 barrels per day. That is what the state owns. Um, so if you, if you look at that, then Ghana is a net importer because we, what the state owns of the share of oil produced here is way lower than what we consume. So we have to always import the product into the country. So Whatever revenue you are making from um, the that's with 7,000 barrels per day, uh, it may not be enough to prevent the prices from rising astronomically or to replace whatever um, taxes or levies government may have imposed on petroleum products. So um, indeed, um, we, we are we produce oil, but the, the, the share of oil we get as a state may not be enough to cushion us from this, this kind of um, uh, astronomical increase on the world market. You are an agency of government. Ghanaians are crying. Um, is there anything you can do? Can you give any advice to government that would lead to a reduction? So indeed, uh, as an agency of government, we are working 
it's, it's also um, we work according to the law. The law that has been entrusted, we, that has established us. Um, for us, like I said, we don't make the fiscal and economic policies for governments. Our work is to regulate the petroleum downstream industry. Pricing, the aspect of pricing we do is to make sure that the price has been done according to the formula. Now, if you look at the taxes and the levies that are in the formula, they are imposed by government by true parliamentary approval. So if any of them have to be touched or removed, it, is, it has to go back to parliament. And so for MPA, we look at the various taxes and see which of them we, uh, have, can be used to, in a way to cushion the consumer. And that, was, that is why in uh, last year, in November, December last year, and even January this year, we looked at the price of later recovery levy, and we said that looking at the act that established it, it is something that can be used in a way to cushion the consumer, even though it's also used to pay for subsidies on premix food and residual food. Currently, 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 do you see any any such cushion anywhere in the in the build-up? So, um, so if you look at the various taxes, the only one that can be used in such a manner is the price ablation recovery levy, and that was used to do so. But it was restored because of this same levy that pays for the subsidies on premix four and residual four oil. Taking them out forever will mean that the suppliers of these products, uh, which are subsidized, May not, may not be able to continue supplying. Okay. So for us, uh, we advise government based on what the law says and what where we think there's an opportunity. But because we are also concerned, uh, there, there's a lot of discussion we are having with our ministry, uh, our sector uh, minister, which is the Ministry of Energy. And we are hoping that we can, together with the Ministry of Finance, all come together and then look at some proposals. But because we cannot speak on these economic policies, uh, we will leave the Ministry of Finance to speak on to that. Thank you for speaking to us, sir. You are welcome. Sir. That's Abbas Ibrahim Tasunti. He's head of pricing at the National Petroleum Authority. My name is Umaru Sandam. I'm production by Sixtus Dong Ulo, Anna Seidu, Beverly London, and Zoe Abubedu Ado. The technical support came through from Daniel Squashi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night. News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.